Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Ladies and gentlemen, friends and fans, heteros and homos, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to keep it sweet because we got a lot of ground to cover. And that ground is cursed ground with flowing water running around it. And the only way to get out is by climbing the wall. And thank God we have a very special guest to lead us out of hell, out of Hull House. Guys, I'm just going to get right to the point. Today's special guest is Kathy Podwell. Kathy, hello. Hello. So happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, we are we are thrilled that you agreed to be on our little modest podcast to discuss one of the most iconic, let's be honest, one of the most iconic horror films from the 80s, particularly one that revolves around Halloween, Night of the Demons. Yeah. And Kathy, I'm going to tell you right now, like, even if we did not have the privilege of having you on here, this was my number one choice for what I wanted to discuss for Halloween, because I think this is an example of a film that perfectly captures the energy and the vibe and the joy of the season. Um, But I mean, having you is just the cherry on top of a delicious demonic sundae. (laughs) Thanks guys so much. It's really, it's really an honor to be on your podcast and thank you so much for all the, all the love. Thank you. Thank you. So Kathy, like before we even get into our standard procedure, we normally go through the film and we talk about it from beginning to end and we dissect the story, but we're going to handle things a little bit differently today, just because like, we really want to give you a platform to talk to your fans and, and recall the experience of creating this now cult classic. So they can kind of hear, you know, from your perspective, what it was like to be on the set um, especially as like a young upcoming actress. Uh, and at that point, how, how old were you when you filmed Night of the Demons? You were younger. You're a baby, right? I was 23, even though I know that a lot of people give um, sort of like crap to the fact that, you know, these characters are supposed to be in high school and we were all in our 20s. I think Linnea Quigley was almost 30 at the time. So I know that it's like one of those, you know, but that just adds to the like, kitsch camp, you know, 80s horror, like, oh, of course, they're like in their 20s and they're playing high school. Um, So, yeah, so I was 23 and I basically, I had my side card. I got my side card on a job that a friend of mine was filming a guest star spot in a, in a Chicago um, based production called Lady Blue. And he was a friend of mine and he became friends with the director that was shooting the next episode. And, and he basically championed me as, as this, you know, young actress that needed her SAG card. And so this director said, you know, yeah, I have a part for her. She can play, you know, the girl that gets killed. You just, she just has to be a local hire. 
So fortunately, my aunt lived in Chicago. So I flew myself to Chicago. I got this job. I, you know, stayed with my aunt for the shoot and I got my SAG card. And this was prior to Night of the Demons. So I had an agent that could send me out on, on SAG work. Actually, side note to the, I always love to say that I got my SAG card. Um, Johnny Depp killed me in this episode of Lady Blue. So that is how I got my SAG card. It was Johnny Depp killed me. And that's kind of a cool way to get your SAG card. So let's just start. Yes. This is the kind of material we want. Right. We're going to start there. But then, so I had my SAG card and my agent, I had a sort of, you know, not a very, I mean, I can't even remember the agent's name, to be honest. It was um, sort of a you know, C-rated agent, but he sent me out for Night of the Demons. And I just thought, oh my God, how funny is that to have, you know, this this horror film, campy horror film, which clearly it jumped off the page as being, you know, this campy horror film as being like potentially my first lead. And so I auditioned and the the casting director, I think loved me. And so the story goes that Kevin Tenney, was in the, you know, was in the room. And then when they, when it came to callbacks, he couldn't really, he couldn't really remember me, which is like so funny in the sense from my headshot, because my headshot didn't look like me. I had this very sophisticated headshot and he's like, this girl is so old. Who, who, who was this? And so Tedra, the casting director basically said, Kevin, she was, you know, she was this girl that you act, you loved her. So um, he was like, okay, well, let's bring her back. So thank goodness for that casting director for championing, you know, my, uh, my connection with her and Kevin in the first uh, audition, because that's how I got um, the call back and then ultimately cast. So um, yeah. And I, I knew that this was going to be a month shoot of nights. And I was at the time, of course, I was a waitress in LA. Of course, that's what you do. And um, I quit my waitress job. I was like, this is it. (laughs) I've arrived. I'm shooting this horror film and this is going to be it. Which, you know, I think it's very interesting how you can set your mind to something and the power, you know, people talk about the power of positivity and seeing, you know, a vision board or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to work. And ultimately I did. I went from night of the demons and I basically worked straight up five, six year straight shot. I mean, I earned a living, didn't have to go back to waitressing. So thank you night of the demons for giving me that, you know, the power of positivity. And so, yeah, so that's, that's how it started. And so Night of the Demons was like the the first like defining role for you. Would you say that it very much influenced your later like casting, like obviously with Dallas and everything at that point, had that had Night of the Demons garnered enough attention for you, even though it was released, it was kind of released. It wasn't like a, a major release, but the way they released it still drew a ton of attention for it. It definitely became like a, a big hit for what it was at that time. Was that like a definitely a stepping stone for you? And did that really kind of define your career moving forward? You know, I feel that um, at the time I felt like, uh, you know, it kind of came and went. I didn't really feel momentum from it. Obviously, you you have on your resume, um a SAG film in which you're the lead. And the ironic thing is, you know, I thought of it as like, oh, it's this low budget horror film, which now 
it was 1.2 million. So like, it's mind boggling to think that was low budget, but at the time it was, and now I think of like how much money that really is, which is, you know, there's, there's young independent filmmakers making films for 30, 40, 50,000. So um, 1.2 is crazy. Now, when you think of 1.2 and you think of, um, Steve Johnson's special effects and you think of the, the the cinematography and the way that it was shot, it's like, it looks like a much more expensive film than 1.2. So for me, it was, it kind of came and went. I didn't really feel that it had any sort of um, legs as far as propelling me into a career. It was just a solid, definite resume, like, okay, SAG film lead, but then it's like one thing begets the other. And on the set of Night of the Demons is where I met the agent that represented, I think, Phil Tanzini, Lance Fenton, and I think Allison Barron at the time. And they were like, a, you know, another step above as far as agent. And the, their agent basically kind of like recruited me. And they got me out for things like growing pains and um, Jason Bateman's Valerie's family, things that I did that then I played the love interest of Kirk Cameron and Jason Bateman. And, you know, so that kind of like got me to the next level. So everything because of Night of the Demons, quitting my waitress job, getting a better agent, it was all literally because of Night of the Demons. I don't think that the buzz around Night of the Demons so much got me into anything other than this better agent. Now, were you were you a horror fan before you you signed on for Night of the Demons, or was it just something that came across you, you came across and you're like, hey, this is an opportunity to be a lead character. Um, I I don't really care that it's a horror film, but it's an opportunity to be a lead. Or were you a horror fan? I mean, we're talking the '80s. The '80s to me was like the golden age of horror. That's when all of the the great horror right. movies came out, the Friday the Thirteenth, etc. So, just wondering if it was something that you were actually a fan of or, or not before you did the film. I mean, I definitely was, and I definitely felt like, "Ooh, I'm going to join that club." I mean, I definitely felt that it was something I wanted to be a part of. It was a job. It was like whatever it is. I'm happy to. I'm happy to be cast and take it on. Uh, but like, I was a huge Halloween fan, so I was definitely a horror fan. But it was not the reason. As an actress, you're just like. Yes, please. (laughs) Whatever it is. Yes, please. Yeah, and I do. You you definitely can tell that the uh, the character of Judy is written to be kind of your quintessential good girl uh, that we've come to expect from our 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 final girls. Uh, The innocence that that the character possesses is definitely the 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 quintessential final girl. I think, and I think you captured that really well, like the innocence of the character. Yeah, I agree on that. And, and I think with Judy, before we get into the actual beef meat of the storyline, you know, and, and everything with that, I think specifically when talking about this character that you played is like, you you do have kind of like a, a mold that you expect filled with like that final girl being kind of an element of innocence and good. We've talked about this before, Troy, up against like the force of evil. But one thing I really like about Judy is like, you know, they, they there, there's a little bit of skin shown at uh, they, they present her a certain way, but then they really have her like stick to her morals. Like she's good, but she's also very rooted in like who she is. 
And you, ex- you at one point you think she's going to kind of become the damsel in distress. Like she kind of starts to spiral a little bit. Like there's the one moment where she's like, I can't get up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like, you know what? Fuck it. She's blowtorching demons. And it's like, you know what? I love like the, the change that you see in this character where she kind of goes into survival mode. I think she's a really well handled final girl, even before having you here. Kathy, she's always been one of my personal favorites, even down to the choice of like the Alice in Wonderland costume in the middle of like, what a great concept. Is that something that was planned going into this, dressing her that way? Was that scripted to be that way? Her being like the Alice in this like demonic Wonderland or was that, where did that come about? Okay, so I give full credit. That was Kevin Tenney. Um, I think in the original script, Judy was supposed to be Little Red Riding Hood and Kevin felt that the, red cape would be too close to a demonic kind of, you know, cogitation of, of a demonic, you know, image. And um, he came up with Alice in Wonderland, which was sort of an homage to, you know, going down the rabbit hole and kind of that's sort of what that night became for, for Judy. So I think a perfect, um, character for a Halloween costume for sure for her. Um, And I do just want to say thank you because I feel, gosh, I wish I could go back and play Judy again. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, there were certain character restrictions. She's defined, you know, she's the good girl. She's, she's got all these things, but I feel like, you know, I would have, I would have made choices now as an actress that I didn't make as my first role. And I, I look back and sometimes I, I've only seen the film a few times since we filmed it. And every time it's like, oh, you know, it's, I'm one of those, you know, it's very hard for me to watch myself in anything because I cringe, but um, there are choices made that I think, oh, if I was like, if I could only, you know, hindsight being 2020 and going back and making choices. So I really thank you for um, saying such kind things about, um, Judy and my portrayal of her, um, I feel like I wish, I I think there are, there are moments where she's really kind of annoying and I wish it wasn't so much that, that um, I could have somehow risen above the cliche, good girl kind of thing in certain choices. But anyway, so I, I thank you for your praise, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the now appeal of of Night of the Demons that you've got the good girl, you've got the, you know, the, you know, like Alvin is the um, Roger, the final boy, thank goodness, you know, there was an awesome final boy. And I love the fact that he was, you know, black final boy being the preacher's son. And then you've got the bad girls and you've got the, you know, the jock and you definitely have defined characters in this movie, which is also sort of highlights what 80s movies were about, not to mention 80s horror film. So, yeah, I think that I, I there are character limitations to the way it was written, but um, also then that adds to now you can look back and say, well, you know, that's pretty great because... Sal is, you know, the Brooklyn kid or whatever, you know, it's just, there's these distinct defined characters that are so rich and so distinct that that's kind of what makes the movie now looking back 33 years later, I I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, well, if you look at it, it's a big cast, but what I find really 
successful about this film is even though it's a big cast, nobody blurs together. Like Troy and I have discussed with so many films that we've dissected that you get a mishmash of people that all look the same and you start forgetting names and you don't recognize certain people. You don't even know people are part of the cast until halfway in. This film, it's a big cast, but you know everybody. And one thing I really love is that a lot of this gang has really embraced the the cult appeal of it. And you do now get a lot of these actors and actresses going to the conventions, diving into it. Like I've had my photo taken with uh, Linnea and um, Amelia uh, and Amelia in full costume. And it's like, I just like, heck yeah. Like if you are in a movie like this, that's to develop such an appeal, you might as well just embrace it because it's become a part of horror movie history. And um, I think that's really awesome for all of you guys, because you all have really great characters. I don't think there's one person here that fades into the background. Even the smallest characters, the first to go still have very defined personalities. And there's a lot to love about this cast. Yeah, I agree. I've, yeah, I, I forgot how lo- I, I actually forgot how large of a cast it was because I didn't why well, I didn't watch Night of the Demons for a while. Uh, but knowing we were going to do this, I watched it again and I was like, oh, f- I forgot that this cast was actually pretty large for like a, a a little low budget independent horror film that usually wants to stick with a small cast for budgetary constraints and whatnot. But this is a large cast. And like I said, they each have their own distinct personalities. It's diverse cast which is something you really didn't see a lot of in the 80s. So yeah, I, I think the characters uh, being so likable in this film really is what also helps it, has helped it become such a beloved film. You care about the characters, you have fun with the characters, you get attached to the characters. You definitely don't want to see anything bad happen to Judy at the end of the film or or Roger, uh, even though Roger to me kind of becomes sort of like this kind of he becomes sort of like what you would expect like the final girl the whimpering little cowering not doing it right exactly judy actually is the one that has to step up and you know and and make sure that they survive well when they're locked in the uh the crematorium he's just cowering in the corner so that was an interesting choice as well so there's a lot about this movie that uh that is i think is what makes fans um really connect to it. I mean, I posted that I was watching this last night for this episode and I don't know how many people on my Facebook commented about how much they love this movie. Um, and it's, it's one of their favorites. So I, that is definitely something to be proud of and to be, I, yeah, I just can't imagine. I'm like, God, it it's crazy. It's honestly, it's, it's so humbling. It's so amazing. The conventions that I've done that the fans have come up and have said, you know, I, you know, I'll tell you, I was, my mom showed this to me when I was nine or, you know, just the stories. And, um, you know, I'm new to all of this because I didn't have a clue. I mean, I literally thought that this movie died on the blockbuster shelf. I had no, no idea, like no idea that um, there was this cult status and that People were watching it all of these years until about, um, I'm going to say the year before the 25th anniversary, like eight years ago. And I, I've said this before that my, the checker at my Trader Joe's would look at me every time I'd go in and he'd look at me. And finally he said, like, you're Kathy Podol. And I was like, yeah, how, how do you know that? Like, you're 25. Like, how do you, you have, like, what I was trying to think, like, what does he know me from? Like Dallas? No, like what, like what? And he goes, 
Night of the Demons. I'm like, Night of the Demons? How did you see Night of the Demons? Like, Night of the Demons? And you recognize me in the grocery store 30 years later? Like, how is that possible? And he's like, yeah, it's a cult classic. And I'm like, what? So, so I say that I called Kevin Tenney. And I was like, what is this cult classic thing, story happening? What? He's like, yeah. You didn't know? And I was like, no. Like, I'm in my mom bubble. I have no idea. So... It was a very pleasant surprise to find out that. Yeah, no, it literally, I mean, being, I, I, being a horror, you know, person myself, I actually uh, co-run the Houston Horror Film Festival and, and our first major convention we had last year, we actually had it for the first time in person and Linnea and uh, Amelia were there. They were two of our guests. So I can definitely attest to you that this film is widely loved and it's understandable why I, I I love this film and there's just like a nostalgia watching this film because I probably first saw this film when I was in I don't know what fourth or fifth grade and it's just it stuck with me it scared the crap out of me I remember like watching this the first time in the scene where you guys are trapped in the crematorium I was like scared that you guys were going to get killed and freaking out as a little boy watching this there and then we'll we'll get there we'll get there to the end but yeah just know that this film is okay (laughs) but it but you know what you're not the first one to say that you know as far as like being part of a film that you had no idea became a huge cult classic because you know sandy johnson from the original halloween was the exact same way she literally had no idea that halloween and how do you 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 wonder like how do you not know that halloween is like considered one of how do you not know okay Halloween. How do you? But she, but you know what? After she got out of acting, she got out of acting young. She moved to rural Texas, got married, never paid attention to film or anything. And it wasn't until like some agent at a convention tracked her down, like literally tracked her down and called her and was like, Hey, do you, are you, are you Sandy Johnson from Halloween? And she's like, Yeah, why? And he had, he's the one that had to tell her how much of a cult classic or how much of a, not even a cult classic iconic film that is. And he got her to do her first convention and she's been doing them ever since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you'd be surprised at how many people don't really, I, I guess you do a film and you don't really think about it. And you know, it's, you have no idea. Kathy, did you follow, and, and we're going to get into the actual di- like dissecting the film because it's got to happen, but I have so many questions, like genuine questions. It's, it's very cool to be able to just, pick your brain about these things. Did you know that like the sequels and the eventual, like the remake, have you followed, like, have you followed the, uh, the films to come from this movie? Have you seen the remake? Do you know any of these things? Nope. I didn't see any of them. I had no idea any of them existed. And I think when I called Kevin to say my Trader Joe's checker told me that it's a cult classic, what is going on? And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, he basically said, yeah, they made a big Hollywood remake. I was like, what? Like, you know, mind blown. I had no idea. I literally, when I say I was in a mommy bubble, I was raising my kids and I had no idea. I had no idea. I got to say, I got to say, though, you know, a lot of remakes are crap. That was, it's not bad. It's not bad. Are you talking the, the big budget remake or like two or three? No, the, 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 the remake with, uh, with Edward Furlong and, right. and uh, Shannon Elizabeth and right. uh, Tiffany Shepis. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's, it's not the original. It's very glossy. Of course, it's very polished. 
Uh, the original had some of that, you know, um, just that kind of gritty feel to it that the remake kind of glossed over. But it's not bad. It's not one of the worst horror remakes. Uh, the sequel is pretty good. I the third the third one is not good. <laughs> I've heard two yeah. is okay, three is not good, and the remake's okay. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would agree with that. Is, Very much agree yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. But it's crazy. Like Shannon Elizabeth Edward Furlong made Night of the Demon. Like what? And you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to think you're you were at the beginning of all of this, uh, so that that's pretty epic to to be now part of what has become a huge aspect of horror movie history. Moving into the actual the film itself, there's so much to dissect here. Um, we're going to kind of gloss over some of the story, but I do want to start off just by acknowledging um, the opening credits to this film are some of the best opening credits I've ever seen. They were uh, handled by animator Kathy Zielinski, who, like, her career went on to be quite impressive. She handled the animation for Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Uh, She worked on Aladdin, uh, Frozen, eventually Kung Fu Panda. She worked on The Simpsons. And she took a lot of of inspiration from from Disney's uh, Fantasia which you see yes. very much. I mean, like, what a perfect start. And I've got to say, these credits, like, I can't think of a better way to set the tone for this film because this movie is horror, but it's also fun. And that synth score, like, you kick in with that synth score and it's just like, you know you're in for a good time. And when you saw this, like, on the big screen, because I'm sure there was a premiere and everything, yeah, this had to be such a cool way to start this movie and just be like, oh, shit, this is like, this is fun. Like, what a great intro. One of the best intros, I think, for a movie I can think of. Oh, for sure. Sh- oh, for sure. I mean, it stood out. I remember sitting there in the theater going, oh, my God, like, this is going to be this opening is going to be way better than the movie. Because, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, low budget, blah, blah, blah. And you have like a certain amount of expectations, even though while we were filming, I, I, I was amazed at Kevin Tenney's um, direction. I just didn't know what it was going to look like, but I knew that I was impressed. I knew that, you know, Kevin had come out of USC film school. He had done Witchboard. This was his second film. I knew that he cared. He was passionate. I knew that he had an eye, the whole, um, the scene where we're all in the broken glass after we do the seance and the glass breaks. And then all of us are reflected within the broken glass pieces, the way he set that up. I was, I was like blown away. And I was really hopeful that the movie was going to look as good as I thought it was being set up to look the, the lighting, the, the, the blue cookie, the smoke, the, the filtration of, of light through the front door the, with the flashlights. I mean, everything, I, I was just so optimistic. And honestly, you know, you think, oh, low budget. And you just like lower your expectations. And then when those opening credits started, it was like, what? Like, like a what? And then you know, the movie unfolded and those shots that Kevin set up were as fantastic as, um, you know, so I think it looks way better than a low budget horror film ought to look. Oh, absolutely. Like one of the things right off the bat that I want to say, actually, when I revisited this movie recently, I watched it with a friend just because I like when I'm when I'm going to do a review, I want to I like to sit down with someone who has not seen a film and just see how they respond to it, you know, and I actually watched it with my ex <laughs> and he had never seen Night of the Demons. And he's like, said, he's like, 
I thought we were watching like an indie. I'm like, well, this is like a low budget film, but they just did a really great job with it. And he's like, this movie looks better than most of the films I've seen out of the eighties. And honestly, like the cinematography, the visuals, I mean, this movie does not look cheap in any way. It looks phenomenal between that and the effects, the practical effects, like, I mean, come on, this movie has held up against the test of time more than a lot of bigger budget movies from the same era, in my opinion. That's the thing, Steve Johnson, when you think about those special effects, that that practical makeup and what he achieved, that, that is makeup. That's There's no computer generated nothing. That is practical makeup. The burn, the, the demon makeup, the lipstick scene, the eyeball scene, you know, it's... It's mind boggling to think that that was done on the budget with which yeah. it was shot with. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I know that Kevin talks about how it was risky in that. I think he says that the first 45 minutes, there's no action, no kill, no demon. The possession doesn't happen until I think 45 minutes into the movie. So you're setting up character development and it's a long way to get to like the need of a horror film. But um, again, I think it, it, it holds up. It really, it does set it up. It's not like, Oh my God, like, okay, can we get to the, you know, the good stuff? Now? I think it's the, the perfect balance to be honest, because you don't want a movie where you get no character development. And like we said earlier, the characters in this film are likable. Like even for the characters that have the least focus, like uh, Franny, right? for example, like still like she's, she exudes joy and happiness. She's like the fun friend and she's loving. And, and like, even with the brief moments you get with these characters, they, they structured it perfectly. Like it's the perfect amount of character buildup before she, shit hits the fan. And then after that, it's just balls to the walls for the rest of the movie. I think it is the perfect balance. I love how they handle the progression of this film. And I have zero complaints because it's never boring. I will say that no matter what, it's never boring. Even with this opening, like you get these characters and right away, like Stooge is a complete dick. Right. He's harass harassing the elderly man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the opening is just, it's, it's, you know, it does, it really sets up a sense of humor too, like Sal's accent, like all these little things that are a little bit larger than life. I love it. Right. It's definitely over the top. And I, I know I've read reviews where I'm like, oh, you know, the acting and it's over the top and it's true, you know, like, okay, we were all like first time actors. So cut us some slack, but I also feel like that's held up like to the campiness, you know, to speak to the campiness of this movie and, you know, that it was this eighties campy horror film with awesome special effects. Yeah. Okay. So the acting and the characters are over the top. I just think it's like, of course, it's a perfect blend of everything you would want in a, you know, campy eighties horror film. So there you go. <laughs> no apologies. Yeah. Inclu no, I, I wouldn't apologize. Include. I mean, yeah. The, the opening scene with um, Stooge and Helen. what's her name? Helen, yeah. Helen. Helen in the car and he's so mean to her all the time. He's like, ah, shut up, you bitch. And just like 
It's such an abusive relationship between. It, it, are they supposed to? Be, are they a couple? I was wondering because he is horrible to her. <laughs> oh, but that whole and how that whole opening revolves around that elderly man that like that old man and how it comes back to him obviously the end but like that's all you get is this moment first you have like the drive by mooning then you have Sal with the rubber rat harassing him and then you come up being like sweetest pie and it's that guy and he's like get away from me you whore I'm like good God this old man is horrible and I gotta say like you're you know Judy is she's a little her naive her naive nature is is a little heightened for this kind of movie but like she the they were so wise in the way they introduced her because she's just you radiate this just like sweet loving glow and this guy just like completely like tears you apart and you're like I've never had a creep like you anyways like it's such a it's such a great intro to your character I love it I love it. That's so funny. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely, again, tone is everything and it's, you know, a flavor that's perfect. It's perfect. Really. Um, You, so, so Judy gets back to her house. She starts changing into her costume and she starts discussing plans with Jay, who's played by Lance Fenton, correct? Who also, was he not in um, Heathers? He was the, the, the jock in Heathers, right? So like a little, like a little piece of the era. How cool is that? I guess a super handsome, great in this role, plays the perfect dick. Um, But you guys have really great chemistry. Was it fun acting opposite him? It was actually. Yeah. Great guy. Super sweet. Um, Yeah. It's funny because uh, Lance definitely, um, well, it's just funny now because I thought he was going to go on to have a career. His I think his aunt, there was a casting directors back in the eighties called um, casting company called Fenton Feinberg. And they cast, I mean, I think they cast when Harry met Sally, I mean, major, major movies of the eighties. And I think that was his aunt. So in my mind, I was like, Oh, Lance is going to be a big star. And he, I think left acting, you know, not long after um, maybe not long after Heather's for sure. Um, he's a chiropractor. So you know, he, he's super successful and super nice guy. Um, but yeah, it was perfect. He was, he was perfect. He was everything Jay needed to be. Um, and yeah, again, casting good job, Tedra, because she like, she nailed it with, with uh, Jay for sure. Yeah. And this all kind of leads into there. Like I said earlier, there's a few, like you have a few brief moments of skin shown, but it's really subtle. And I really appreciate like in a movie where there is elements of sexuality, I never feel like Judy is sexualized. Like, you know, like, I mean, you're in your brassiere. There's that whole moment where your brother (laughs) hits on you, which is so very strange. But but, um, overall, like, I mean, I love the fact that like they don't make judy's character like a sexual entity amongst all these other girls uh you're very like demure over the course of the film and was she written that way originally or is that something you had part of the influence on that so she was the the scene so i auditioned with just you know your sides it was like two two scenes or whatever and i didn't have the whole script and then i got i think the sort of the the way that it all came down was i got cast and then I got sent the script um, and I was like, oh my God, like she's supposed to be topless. And I was like, no, I don't like, I was like, 
no, I didn't want to go to that. My first film, I'm like, oh my God, that's what it's about. And I didn't want it to be that. I wanted to be an actress and my grandmother's going to see this movie. Like I can't be topless. So I basically um, had a meeting with Kevin Tenney and I said, I really want to do this, but is there any way that, you know, I cannot do a topless scene? And he's basically said, look, this is, you know, funded and, uh, you know, there are certain elements in a low budget horror film, you know, the TNA quotient has to be there in order, um, you know, for these uh, contributors to the movie. So, um, you know, he kind of basically said that he felt like with Franny's scene and Linnea's scene that there were there were other topless scenes that maybe that he could get away with just meeting in a bra. And um, but but the negotiation was I'll give you one one, you know, bra scene rather than topless, but you have to give me a little tush. So that was how that scene came about because it was like a barter situation. Like I wasn't going to go full topless. I'll be in a see-through bra and I had to go, you know, a little tush scene, Um, which was, I mean, I'm still like super uber, like although big butts are kind of in, but I, at the time I was like, that is my least, I, my, my least flattering part. And I was kind of mortified that that was the barter but I really wanted to do this movie. So I went with it and I was like, at least it's not a topless scene. So girl, you look, you look great in this movie. Like say what you want, but like you look <laughs> radiant and not just cause you're on the other end of this conversation. But like, I think we can all agree that Judy is one of the most beautiful final girls. Um, and honestly, I think the way that it's handled, like, yeah, you're right. Like with, with indie horror movies, especially of this era, skin was in like that's what it was but i do think that the the negotiations that you guys made and how you handled it really benefited her character because she does as the movie progresses stand up for herself and you know declines jay's advances and and i think the fact that she was presented as a bit more demure just um played off better for her you know so i think the sequence is played off perfectly and i think it definitely flatters you and it flatters the character Thank you. I, you know, I really never thought about it that way. So I really appreciate that because it's like, yeah, it kind of like does work to how she stood up for herself. Like that is, um, thank you. And it also flattered your little brother in the movie too, <laughs> which this little brother is one of the most annoying characters. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, good God, this kid. I mean, we had we had the we, we reviewed the movie The Fun House last week, the 80s The Fun House. And there's a scene right. where the where the brother goes into the girl while she's taking a shower and like pretends to stab her and stuff. So we're like, what little what little brother would want to go and see a sister naked? Well, apparently in Night of the Demons, this one does too, because he's hiding in your closet. And when you open the closet, he's like, Oh, bodacious booby, sis. I'm like, this kid, that's your sister. Calm down. And then later when because Sal. Or no, I'm sorry, to Jay. He says to Jay, he calls him cha-chas. I'm like, why do you keep referencing your poor sister like this? Like, you're her sibling. Like, But whatever. It was the 80s. Like, I'll let it go. Uh, exactly. Just give it, just say it was the 80s. It was fun. It was funny. I do like the scene with, with him and Sal when we first get introduced to Sal. 
and it's Sal and the little brother. And Sal has just this exaggerated like Jersey accent that is so, I mean, again, we're going to say over the top, but it just works for his character. Yeah. And it just adds yeah. this, uh, yeah. this charm to the character. It really does. At first, it took me a second to get used to like, why is it? Why is he doing like this really exaggerated Jersey accent? But then as the movie goes on, you see it fits the character very well. And it just gives a, it just gives the character an extra dimension. And, and like we said, all these characters are, are so different from each other. They're not cookie cutters that none of them blend together. You know, distinctly which character is which. And so I think that was a good choice as well. Right. Yeah. And I have to, I feel that Sal, honestly, like out of all of these characters, he's probably one of my favorites. I was just because... gonna say he becomes one of my favorite characters. Because yeah, he's the one that he's the one that actually is like besides Judy, but he's the one that actually is like recognizing that shit is not right here, you know, and that they probably should not be should not be staying in this house any longer than they need to be. But uh, yeah, kind of the voice of reason, which you don't expect from him when he's first introduced. You expect him to be kind of this clown. Yeah, that's, you know, or kind of like a bully almost like you think he's going to be a jerk. But like as things progress, he actually is one of the more caring individuals in the group, like leading up to his, you know, inevitable demise. Like he's trying to help Judy Um, and they obviously yeah. have a little spark. They talk about how they went on a date, but it didn't pan out. I do have to say that I think that Sal is the hunkiest of all the guys in the cast. Oh, oh for my sure. God. Oh, I love it. He's so handsome. <laughs> um, all of, That's so true. I love it. This leads yeah. into one of what is one of the most iconic moments in the film. The uh the scene at like the convenience store. I, these two gals, like I have a feeling like these two girls were a blast to work with because you could tell they're just taking the material and running with it. And like Linnea is so comfortable in her skin and playing these characters. But like the whole sour balls line and everything, like she just speaks yeah. with such confidence. I love seeing these two act opposite each other. What was it like working with them in character? Because they really got to take on a lot of the demonic elements of the film. You saw a lot of that transformation happening in Suzanne and then obviously eventually with Angela. But um, what was it like being on, on set with, with these two dames? Because I feel like it was a blast. I feel like they were, I remember thinking they're just like the pros. Like I knew Linnea had already kind of established herself as a screen queen. Like that was sort of the buzz about Linnea on, on set. But, you know, she was already super established. And she definitely was, had, like you said, had that confidence, like knew, had her groove thing going on. And it was something to behold for sure. And then Amelia kind of just synced right up with that, with Linnea. And um, at that point, I know she had done a Stray Cats video, Sexy in 17, or yeah, I think that was the, that was the video she had done as a dancer. So she was really a dancer and she was Rue McClanahan's niece. And um, so that was the, that was the buzz about Amelia. And so watching them was really a lot of fun. And then on the flip side, they had hours in the makeup chair. So once we got going with the demon stuff, I was feeling super blessed because I did not have to spend that kind of time. So they were in the makeup chair for, I think it was eight hours to get on and seven hours to take off. And I had nothing to do with that. So, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with them because they would come to set and we'd work, you know, and that was it. There was not a lot of like hanging around time for me. There was hanging around because I didn't have to do the do the makeup. So, um, but yeah, super 
super duper pros. Like they, they were troopers. I mean, to put themselves through that makeup, horrendous makeup situation is like amazing to me. Yeah. One of our listeners, when we announced that we were having you on, actually one of the questions that they requested we ask, since you mentioned Rue McClanahan, um, there's a rumor that she showed up on set one day. Is this true? She did. did you meet her? I did. I did. Oh. I I wish that I had a that I was like a Golden Girls fan at the time, or it was like like I knew who she was, and so it was a big deal. But I like didn't ogle and like hang out with her. But yeah, she came to the set, um, and she was lovely, and yeah, it was a treat for sure. How cool. How cool is that? Yeah. That's so oh my awesome. God, so cool. Especially now looking back and what Golden Girls has like talk about iconic status of event, you know, any kind of TV show ever. Like yeah, the 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 convenience store scene, very yeah, very iconic. I, Linnea quickly has kind of the distinction of she's been in she's been responsible for some of the more iconic like single scenes in horror history, I think. It's like the, the lipstick scene in Night of the Demons. She has the uh, deer antler scene in Silent Night, Deadly Night. She has the uh, trash scene as she comes out of the grave and returns to the living dead. It's like, you just don't realize how much she's actually done. I mean, I was like, oh gosh, this she's, and she was actually born in my hometown, Davenport, Iowa. Yeah. Oh, Davenport, yeah, right? Iowa. <laughs> wow. So after the convenience, well, I, basically Suzanne is distracting the clerks so that, uh, Angela can shoplift. And I just find this scene hilarious because she's going around the store with like this giant, like uh pillow, just throwing shit in, but there's like the stores full of people and none of them are like saying a word to her. She, she just she's throwing everything in. I know. It's like, she walks out like Santa Claus with it thrown over her shoulder and it's, you can tell it's full of everything and nobody says a word. So. And she's just like taking off the shelves. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's so fun. It's so fun. And like when you said earlier, why, like, you know, the paranoia of there not being enough horror in the beginning, I don't even care because these like these characters are just such a blast. And even like the way like Linnea delivers her dialogue, like she like you, you boys have sour balls. Oh, so you must not get a lot of blowjobs. She has such like a kind of like a almost like kind of gravelly gruff sound to her voice, but it makes for such like a great delivery in every line she says throughout the course of the movie. Every time she references cute boys, like I just I love listening to her. And the yeah, what a great just crew of characters. It makes it for such a fun watch beginning to end. Uh this is followed up with the the brief moment where your mother offers the fudge logs to Jay, which look like uh dry, sun-dried poodle turds. Yes. Um <laughs> and that's a cute little again, another little brief moment of humor, but this movie does a really great job of sprinkling the humor all throughout. I did note that Billy is an awful child. He is abusive towards you. <laughs> He's such a horrible sibling. He's abusive towards everybody. <laughs> He's abusive towards um, everybody. And this is where you're introduced in the Alice in Wonderland costume, which again, I just want to reiterate was such a great costume choice, especially for the journey that Judy is about to go on. Exactly. But you guys go and you pick up Max and Franny, kind of rounding out the rest of the cast. Um, and we're kind of on our way. Like the, the ball is rolling. We do have that moment where the one group of friends with Roger, uh, the car is broken down and you guys drive by and Max leans out and he's like, you guys need a hand. And then the, the, the clap. 
and I like, you know, Max is one of those characters where you think like he's not the most focused on character, but they do a really good job of utilizing him. He's the character that gives the exposition. He's the character right. that knows everything about Hall House. He any bit, any tidbit of information on the house, he's like the source of knowledge. And I I love his character. I there's not one character I do not like in this group. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> Yeah, because once they get to the house, yeah, it is Max who basically tells the whole group the story of Whole House, the fact that it was it was a mortuary and, and one of the family members, they don't really know who because there was so much blood and guts, they couldn't figure out who it was, went nuts and killed off the entire family. Um, and now there is like this uh, underground stream that surrounds the property, right? That he right. Uh, he he recognizes he's over there and he's like listening to the... Uh, to the stream and they're like what are you doing max so he's he's the one that tells him about this underwater underwater stream as well i do like that you know even though they were a couple miles away supposedly because when they get to the house they're like oh our car is a couple miles away they were sure able to get to the house fast right the the group that broke down <laughs> it's like you guys walk that in about five minutes right of course they did yeah it's horror it's an 80s horror movie we don't care about you know but no but once the group is together it's just a blast it's the the movie kicks into high gear uh the location is creepy 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 where was it where was this filmed at so it was an old house in south central uh near usc downtown and um it had been purchased by it's now a Ralph's grocery store and they had purchased it and had some delays or something with the, the permits. So uh, story has it that the, the um, uh, location manager found it and negotiated with them to rent it to them because they were, you know, hadn't, had plans to demolish it anytime soon. And it was a way for them to make money. So um, that is why it does not appear in any of this, the sequels. It was, was knocked down shortly after we finished filming, unfortunately, but it was very creepy. Um, So creepy that they actually put our dressing rooms on the second floor because it was a fenced in house lot Um, And, you know, there was a wall that we filmed the wall at the end and all of that. But basically, there was not a lot of room to put um, like a honey wagon. So our dressing rooms were up on the second floor, which I don't think any of us spent any time in because it was so freaking creepy that we all just chose, even though it was a night shoot and we could go like chill in our room, we all just sat outside with the whole entire cast and crew rather than isolating ourselves in that creepy house. Um, but yeah, so it was very, it was perfect. And the way that the set designers amplified all of its creepiness was just like super spot on. But, you know, because it was not a set and it was a real house, it lends to the, the creepiness in a perfect, I think, a perfect way. Oh my God. The entire house is like, honestly, we've talked about before the idea that like, if you have a good location, it becomes a character in the film. Oh. And I... I can't think of a better example of having a location in a movie. I mean, cause this is the predominant location. Once you guys are there, you're basically there. You're there the whole movie. Right. And um, this, this location, it never gets boring. It never feels stagnant. It has such character to it. It's lit impeccably. They did an amazing job. I, I am curious, like there are, 
a lot of rooms that are very specified, uh, very specific towards the environment. You know, it's, it's, they say it's the largest funeral home in four counties. Um, the crematorium, and for example, was that all within this location? None of this was separate sets that they, you guys moved to? No. So actually the crematorium, and they, they, that is the one room that they sort of built because it was like a carport off the side of the, the, you know, the side, the left side of the house. And they built this, they built the crematorium. And so, um, that was the only constructed set, so to speak. Everything else was inside or outside legitimately at the house. Yeah. Wow. And um, I do have to say, like, in regards to the actual, like, <laughs> legend of the house, it is one of the most complex legends I've ever heard. There are so many layers because apparently Old Man Hall, like, loved <laughs> Loved his clients in the carnal sense. So he was having sex with the body. So there was that. Then there's also the fact there was a murder-suicide where they also killed the maids and all the, like, the employees. And then there's also like the Native American aspect of like, like the cursed Native American ground. Like this place is <laughs> cursed, like beyond repair. So I, I love it. There's just so many layers. It plays very much into the whole kind of sticky factor of it, which only elevates the material that much more, I think. Um, and I do love that they even say that like the county gave up unlocking the gate. <laughs> the explanation for you guys breaking is just because people just like gave up on trying to like keep it locked. So like you could just get right in there. You don't have to come up with some crazy excuse of you breaking in. I love it. Yeah. And there's a coffin, a random, like there's still a coffin that's in the middle of the room. Because uh, once we cut back to the group, Sal actually jumps out of the coffin and and scares Jay, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Jay gets upset with him. And we have to remember, Sal knows that you guys are at Whole House because your brother tells Right, exactly. So that's where the party's at. So he got there before everyone else. So he's able to, to get in the coffin and jump out and scare everybody. And then the rest of the group shows up, Angela and Suzanne, and the party starts. And like I said, once the party starts, it is a... Nonstop blast. These characters are fun. We have a lot of fun with them. I do like there's a little scene where your character sets a lighter down on a table. Yeah. And Angela confronts you about it. And it's like, yes, you should not, Judy, you shouldn't leave your lighter here. You know that house is possessed. And you're like, oh, you're just, you're just, you're just pulling my leg. And she walks away and you pick up the lighter and you're considering it for a while. And you finally decide to put it in your, your pocket. And I love though, that that comes into play later in the movie that uh -huh. if you wouldn't have put that in your, if you would not have put the lighter in your pocket, you probably would have been dead. Yeah. <laughs> so little things like that, that do tie. I, I like that that comes back into play. Everything kind of comes back into play in the plot later on. Nothing's like done uh, just randomly. Everything kind of has a purpose. Right. Like, I, I agree. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, granted, okay, low budget 80s horror, but still you want things to make sense in a, in a way and you don't want loose ends and you, you don't want to sit there the whole movie saying, oh God, that is so not, you know, believable or whatever. So yeah, tying those loose ends together. I mean, there's, 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 there is a lot to take in as far as the whole, like, history of the Hall House and every, all the exposition, like you said, that Philip Tanzini's character um, talks about with, right, the Native American land and all of that. And, you know, so there is enough of that, that you wouldn't want things to be like, where'd she get that lighter? You know, so. <laughs> 
And I do love it, the sequence because like the party really like they bust out a strobe light and the party like kind of kicks up a whole other level. And Suzanne is just making the best time out of it. And every guy there, whether they're in a relationship or not, I love how they are all just immediately drawn to her. Like it's, it's, it's so funny to me, like the, the, the balance of these characters and how they interact with each other. But I gotta say like, there's only like nine people at this party, but my God, get me to this party. The food spread, cobwebs and all looks great. Uh, <laughs> that strobe light, it looks like a great time. I mean, like this scene... I try to think in like moments in movies where I'm like, wow, this really just had to be a blast of a day to shoot. And I feel like this whole moment where you guys culminate together, you have the party, you're celebrating. Like, what was that like? Was that a fun moment for you? It was. It was so much fun. I mean, I I think back and I I remember thinking it's kind of um, sort of the horror film equivalent of the Island of Misfit Toys. Like, I felt like we were all like, would these people come together to this house and have a party? Like, how did this all happen? But it's fun that it did, you know, that they are all different. And however they all came together, like, would Judy really, like, hang with Suzanne? And so there is that fun. And that that was part of, like, my awkwardness, too. I felt like, oh, like Lene and Amelia were the cool girls. I definitely felt that. So it wasn't hard to act. Like they were definitely the cool kids on the block. So um, so everybody brought their characters to life in a way that made it very easy and very fun to be in that moment. You know, we had, we had a really good time. Really. Yeah, the chemistry, the chemistry is like palpable. Good. Between you guys. Awesome. It really, it, it is more so than I think most films within this genre. You can tell no matter what, at the end of the day, I think you're looking to see if a cast is having fun beyond the acting or anything. You look to see if a cast, like if you're playing a group of friends, do they seem like they'd really be friends? And Troy, when we reviewed uh, the fun house, I think that was one of the things we brought up. We're like, it's, I can't necessarily find the fun in these characters, you know? And this is the opposite. These characters, I feel like you guys had to love being on set with each other and you can feel it. Um, it, it it does build up to a point where um, uh, Jay does kind of wander away and, and kind of starts eyeballing Suzanne. And that's like the first kind of hint of what's to come with his character. So by the time it hits, it's like, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it does all kind of culminate in Angela suggesting a seance. And the group's kind of like torn over it. And when Roger and Stooge kind of wander away to examine another room, they do find this perfectly placed man, massive mirror, just as Angela requested. And so this plays kind of like a key part in towards everything shifting tone. We start to delve into the horror element of what's about to happen. And the moment this mirror comes into play, you know, shit hits. Um, I do love this sequence though, of everybody sitting around the mirror. It's such like a classic kind of token moment where like the darkness hits. And um, at the effect where you see this like kind of like demonic form, I think it's Helen sees in the mirror she sees like a yes. demonic face what do you know how they executed that what was that like a puppet effect I'm, I'm assuming you know that's a really good question I am not sure but I think you're um yeah I'm not sure I can't really definitively say I'm I'm wondering though wasn't it doesn't she well she sees the demonic face but then she sees her own face right 
smash against the mirror, which is like foreshadowing of her de- her right. death scene when she, when um, Rogers in the car and her body smashes against the, right. the the windshield. So I'm wondering if it's just like the same shot that they superimposed it into the mirror to make it look. They like it. did, and I think, but didn't they do a demonic? I I think that. The demon was definitely the CG, demon, you know, probably yeah. pop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it is a cool, it is a cool, very cool. It's very cool how it's done. And it, it is kind of, again, you see that you see her face like hit the mirror and she sees it and she has a major freak out and, and the mirror ends up falling over and, and breaking. And uh, she is just like screaming about she saw what she saw and she's like having a, a almost a heart attack. Yeah. I'm like pretty, pretty impressive. But then you hear the, her little squeals, like when when you're comfort, because you go over. Of course, Judy's when that comforts her, but she's doing these like squeals. I can't even hit the octave that. <laughs> but they're so like I mean, it's so authentic in the moment. It really it feels very natural, and I love that Helen's the character that has this moment because out of all the characters, I would say she's probably the like yes. the most understated. Um, uh, she, Helen doesn't have a ton to do, but her having this moment of really being the first one to notice something is off. Um, I love that they gave her this kind of moment because it gives her kind of like a distinct purpose as now, you know, the we're leading into the demonic presence entering the house. And again, I have to, I have to mention this shot because I, the more I, the, the more I saw it, the more I'm like, that is really cool. The shot of all your guys' faces and the different shards of glass. That is, that's very impressive. I, I agree. That's it's the shot that I talk about all the time. When I talk about Kevin Tenney's direction, going above and beyond, you know, that's not really a low budget sort of shot, you know, um, it's a very thoughtful, creative. Yeah. Every, every shard of glass has a different character in it, you know, and you're watching all your reactions to Helen having her freak out and stuff within these shards of glass. It is really cool. Really, really cool. Kind of reminds me of something we, we, we reviewed this film, Roger, almost a year ago now intruder, you know, the 80 slasher intruder where they used a lot of these same like sort of creative little shots that oh, I, did, I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's like a killer killing off people in a grocery store, but they use different, really creative shots like that. So it was like, but you, you but I think night of the demons obviously was first because intruder came out the year after, but awesome shot. I love that shot so much. Uh, and then you do hear like a rumbling in the basement. And this is when, of course, Suzanne spends the whole movie putting her lipstick on and she's sitting there with her mouth agape and you, you get the uh, very distinct impression that the demon, something enters her mouth. Right. Yes. And she becomes possessed. And I, I got to tell you, possessed Suzanne is a hoot. <laughs> I thought normal. I thought normal Suzanne was a hoot, but possessed Suzanne, let me hang out with her because she is a hoot. <laughs> well, she has that like, First of all, the lead up to this is there was that one very Evil Dead-esque kind of shot. But like we're talking about well-executed cinematography, the whole introduction of the presence entering that, you know, leaving the um, crematorium and entering the main room of the house. That long like POV shot where it enters the room and it kind of swings around all of the characters acknowledging the smell. So well done leading up to, as you said, like the smoke entering Suzanne's mouth really well played out <laughs> she has that one night where she, that one line where she's like for tonight anyway and like everybody's just like silent for a minute and they all just like look at her and like the awkwardness translates so well in that sequence because people are like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> okay weirdo <laughs> yeah. but yeah 
whatever. Yeah. Demonic Suzanne has become a thing of like, I would say pop culture fandom, um, which I think is really cool. I mean, the whole movie has a lot of really iconic moments, but I, I do love like there's dolls now of, of Suzanne and I think of Angela as well. Uh, do you have a doll? I don't know. Do you have an action figure doll? I don't have a doll. You need, you need one. So NECA came out. NECA came out with no Suzanne Stooge and and Emil, and uh, Angela. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're, right now. We're demanding a, a Judy. We're pushing doll. for a Judy doll. We need a Judy. <laughs> yeah, really? we need a full a full package. Thanks, guys. That's that's very gracious <laughs> of you. But I, I don't know that there's gonna be a lot. Of, I have a pin. I have, um, yeah, demonic pinfestation. Those gals are so sweet, and they made a Judy pin. So I'm super. They presented it to me at a, um, a convention like three years ago, and I like literally cried when they handed it to me. I was like, oh. <laughs> speaking of merchandise and conventions, really quick, just because I am curious, because yeah. this is pretty common with with the other girls, but I can see this happening with Judy. Have you had anybody like cosplay or come dressed? In no. character as you, I'm doing it. <laughs> I, next convention, I'm you going as Judy. Your... I'm a natural blonde. I can yeah. pull it off. <laughs> you can pull off Judy totally. Absolutely. I see that. Oh yeah. I see that. I love it. I I'm love surprised. it. I, I, I'm surprised. I'm. Su- I'm really surprised that. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. No. Though. Let me think. Like think about it. But no, no. But I think like at the Houston Horror Film Festival when Linnea and uh, Amelia were in. Um, their full garb. They had like a photo op or both of with both of them together and they were in their costumes. I swear to God, like, and I have to look, I'd have to go through the photos that were taken there through the professional photo ops. But I swear to God, there was a girl that had her photo op taken and she was wearing the uh, Alice in Wonderland dress. I, sw- I'm, I, I, I would almost bet my life on it. I'm pretty sure. I, I wouldn't doubt it, but at the same time, I haven't, I haven't fully experienced that myself. So I wouldn't doubt it though. But as, as a final girl, you deserve that moment. Yeah. And if that if that girl is listening to this specific podcast, let us know because you deserve a call out. Um, but this this builds up where Angela basically concludes that the combination of the sounds, the cold, the smell, they're signs of a, a demonic possession. And she explains to you the difference between a ghost haunting and a demonic possession which like reasonably makes roger want to leave i will say like roger is they call him a chicken shit and you know he kind of is but he's also the smartest person in the in the room like he He represents every sane person watching that movie they would be roger everybody would be roger get the hell out of there like and Kathy, I am waiting for during the length of this podcast for you to refer to me as Raj, just because I have friends who will be like, Raj. I do. But yeah, so he and Helen, basically, they're like out of there. And um, and Suzanne, who is now secretly a demon, thinks to take Angela's keys and toss them to Raj, which is like as a demon, kind of a smart move, you know? Um, But basically now the wheels are turning to separate the the group and infect them. Uh, And this does build up to that really, really kind of ballsy moment where Suzanne makes out with Angela. And I'll say for like late 1980s to have that, like a, a girl on girl kiss where they even reference it. She's like, I'm into all kinds of weird things tonight. Who like, that's interesting and good on them for being ballsy enough to kind of like stray into that territory. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I agree. When you recorded that, did that seem kind of like a, a bold choice at the time? You know, I don't remember it being so bold. I, I thought everything was bold. So like that was just fell in line perfectly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we were just sort of rolling with it and it's only hindsight that you look back and go, wow, you know, for the time that, right. Like you said, that was, that was crazy. And I love the fact that Roger is also, you know, the final guy. I think that is also a bold choice. Like how, how many final guys are there, let alone final, you know, African-American guys. So, yeah, that was something that I think is inevitable to discuss, like in the fact that there are some choices here that are made that really are super progressive and you don't really think about it. Like when you think of horror movies, you know, just when you sit back and view it, you don't really think about how much of a game changer it is until you sit and really dissect these moments. But like, yeah, like this is a movie where not only is he the smartest character, he's not presented as a trope. He's the smartest character in the group and he's one of the two survivors. And like, good on the creators of this film for just being progressive enough in that time to make that choice for sure. For sure. Right. Right. Yeah, because there are many moments in the film where I, upon a, I could see as a first time viewer that you think he's going to die. Yeah. There are several moments where I'm like, yeah, okay. He's gonna. This would be a perfect opportunity for someone to think that he was going to die knowing, knowing that I, I knew that he survived, but I could see how it was set up that, to trick the viewer into thinking, okay, this is the moment the black guy is going to die first. He's going to, you know, of but no, he makes it all the way to the end, possibly by no uh, strength of his own, really. <laughs> but uh, he does make it to the end. I would say thanks to Judy, you know, yeah. um, but he does, yeah. but then he does. Yeah, but then he kind of saves her. I do love that moment too, where he actually does make the choice to. He goes yes, back. Yes, because yeah. because throughout the movie, uh, one thing I noticed about Roger was that he just he would just like take off and like leave Judy. <laughs> he did it like four times, where he's like, "I'm out of here, fuck <laughs> this bitch, I'm out of here, oh, run." And, and Judy has to wander and find him. Roger, where are you? Where'd you go? And he's like out in the yard a mile away. <laughs> I do yeah. love this moment. I got to say it. One of my favorite lines in the movie is as everyone's breaking up and Suzanne is going to go to the bathroom and Sal's like going to walk her to the bathroom. And she's like, no, I want Stooge. And he's like, well, Stooge is a fat pig. And she goes, <laughs> Maybe I'm in the mood for pork. <laughs> I'm like, girl, get it. Like, good for you. I love it. Like, the one-liners in this movie do not get enough credit. There are some classics, not not to mention um, Hal's or Stooge's line, eat a bowl of, you know, are we allowed to say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely. And I hear, I hear there's a drinking game. So every time... Judy says, Jay, Jay, people have to drink. Who knew? <laughs> one of the, one of the comments in our, th- well, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be drunk the first five minutes of the movie, right? <laughs> one of the comments in our thread when we posted this was just someone who said in capital the letters, Jay. Jay. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I love it. Cause she's so sweet and naive and it just like makes sense for the character. It's so endearing. But I do, but not only, okay, stick move, but not only does this house have that horrible history of, you know, the, the mortuary man murdering his entire family and the maids and the, and they're also now we find out is a story of a, a, a young brave who wandered onto the property and massacred his wife eight. and ate his, ate his yeah. child. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I would say this is about time to leave. Like, but no, they're staying around because Max and because Max tells the group this story as well. And him and Franny then go wander off to explore this large, you know, creepy house on their own. We cut to uh, Helen and Roy who are outside. And now Roger. the. That's my, it's my name. You just said Roy. Did I say Roy? Roger. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm blending, I'm, I'm blending Roger and Jay together to make Roy, apparently not Ray, but Roy, uh, Troy, Roy, who knows? Um, but they're outside looking for the gate, which has disappeared. <laughs> I love this twist. I love that. Like the house is literally just like, basically like manifesting right. whatever means necessary to keep you guys in it. And the fact that it like has the power to do so, I think is such a fun twist because it really feels like there's no way to get out. But like the way, that, <laughs> poor Helen, because like the way they dispose of her is so like, just like Roger like looks back and she's just gone. Yeah. And it's like, womp, womp. Like, uh, <laughs> and Roger knows, Roger instantly knows that like shit's afoot. And instead of like going and telling people, he just locks himself in the car and falls asleep. Logical. That, that's As you do, as you do. Um, this leads into the moment with you and Jay, which I think is honestly kind of a turning point for Judy's character. And, and like, you know, up to this point, she's just been this cute, innocent, lovable, sweet, wide-eyed blonde. But the moment where he's like trying to come onto her in this disgusting environment and, and she kind of stands up for herself for the first time, you definitely see a turning point in the character. And it, it does continue throughout the rest of the film because by the end of the movie i wouldn't want to say that judy's a badass but she is a survivor and this whole point where he like as soon as he realizes that he's not going to get what he wants from her he just leaves her (laughs) and she's just like locked in that room and you're so like like it's just so like sad (laughs) because like obviously shit hits at this point and you're the last person to find out Right. You have no idea. Like, even at one point, like, Stooge comes to the door and, like, tries to open it, And you're like, let me out, Jay. And, like, it just, I love it, though. I love it. Like, it's just, it's the way the story evolves from this point. It's just nonstop. So uh, we do go to the bathroom sequence at this point. And she's, Suzanne is starting to physically show signs of the possession. And we do get, like, our first real look at these excellent practical demon effects for the first time you start to see her face like stretch and manipulate and stooge is on the outside of the room you know trying to get in and um and finally he busts open the door she's gone but these are i mean like when you were talking earlier about them having like seven hours in the makeup chair makes complete sense because like not only are these effects really amazing but a lot of times they're like they're moving like there actually has to be like animatronics or something or even if it's just like air pockets beneath them i don't i don't know how they pulled it off but they're some of the best demonic effects like we really need to take a minute to acknowledge now that they're on camera this film this yeah this film boasts some of the best effects out of the genre oh they're amazing they're amazing they hold up they hold up definitely hold up yeah i mean even all these years later they look great i agree A hundred percent. That is to me the most amazing thing to take away from this movie all these years later, you know, story aside, blah, 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 characters. It's, it's that practical makeup. It's amazing. Amazing. And now we get the scene with Angela doing her, well, Sal, poor Sal, just, you know, nobody's really talking to me sitting down there with a beard, him and Angela, the only one's down there. And she starts to do this 
dance that gets just progressively more wild. That's the only way I can describe it wild and just frantic. And the way the lighting is because the strobe light comes on by itself. And like the way the lighting is, you, you see, it's just so well done because there's, you see, it's like, are you really seeing what you're seeing or is it just the strobe lights? Is she really moving that fast or moving that, that, uh, that drastically from place to place and almost like shifting her body just in an instant or is it the strobe light and even like uh sal is sitting there looking totally confused like am i really seeing this what's going on Uh, until uh stooge comes in the room and you could definitely tell i mean you you mentioned that uh amelia wasn't a dancer and you totally can see that in this particular scene i actually wanted to ask i was i had heard that she choreographed that herself and like That sequence is, we're talking about iconic sequences from this film. This movie boasts several of them. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not like there's just one moment in this movie that stands out. I mean, you've got this, you've got the lipstick. Like there are some moments in this film that are just iconic with the genre. Were you on set this day with the dancing? Were you there? I was, but I reached, I wasn't in the room. So I knew that she was, it was, you know, many, many shots and, um, yeah, I didn't get to see it, but um, I heard she was doing an amazing job and that she had choreographed it. That's all yeah. I remember. Yeah. 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 It's phenomenal. It's yeah. phenomenal. It all builds up to Sal leaves sensibly. Um, so Stooge, you know, thinks he's going to get lucky. He makes a move in on her because she kind of lures him in and they go in for a, a makeout sequence, which results in his tongue being bitten off. And this is the first time that we really get to see Angela as demonic Angela, who, and, and she goes on to become, as we know, the most, the definitive figure of the series. Angela, it's Angela's party. It's become the tagline. Um, and, and how cool for Amelia Kincaid to have this character that really is like just defining of, of a whole series. Like they, you couldn't really have the series, I think, if you didn't have Angela Involved. Oh, for sure. So she she for just sure. runs with it. And, you know, the way she moves, everything about this character, there's, you know, we get some really awesome shots coming up of her, like, floating and gliding down hallways. And, like, it is just, it's actually scary. Like, you watch it, and still to this day, some things do not withhold the test of time. These visuals, I think very much so, are still effective to this day. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, you know, her floating down the hallway, she was on roller skates. And so I've often said that it was an acting challenge to not laugh because, you know, I'm supposed to imagine that she's this demon floating down the hallway and how scary is that? But like, it's Amelia on roller skates. How funny is that? So, you know, it was, it was, yeah, that was when you, you really had to like, okay, this is called acting and let's, let's do this kind of thing. Yeah. But it's the magic of, of, of what goes on behind the scenes. Like some of the most effective sequences in cinema are done in the most practical way that you wouldn't even know it. And you wouldn't even know the way these shots ended up looking on camera. I mean, roller skates or whatever they did to do it. She's more, she's terrifying. So so good on them. (laughs) 
it's, she's so imposing looking uh, as she's coming down the hallway. Like for some, I don't know if it's the camera angle, the way she shot, but she looks much larger. Uh, I mean, she's she's like literally filling the whole hallway. She looks much larger than um, you know we've seen her throughout the film. So it was done really well, and it is really Good. it is scary. Super it scary. is. It is. I had seen it twenty five years later, and and I was on the edge of my seat, and I was like, "Dang, this is this is definitely scary." Okay, this is great. You know, and how cool to be it, someone who's in the film and still be able to watch it and be like, wow, I'm in this movie, but I'm still taking away an emotion. Yeah, it's still impacting me that I mean, that really just goes to show how much of an impact this movie right. has. Uh, and what's cool now is like now that we're in the thick of it, like we're like moving sequence to sequence with these demons. It is really just like a matter of like iconic scene to iconic scene to iconic scene, because this pretty much leads right into the sequence of Sal finding Suzanne in the one storage room with the lipstick. And this is another super iconic moment where she starts drawing all over her face and she unbuttons her blouse. And then of course, as we all know, (laughs) she inevitably draws on her breast and then inserts the lipstick into her nipple. Um, How did that read? And how amazing is that? Like how like realistic is that? It's, it's amazing. It is amazing. All these years later, I, I I find that scene to be like, how'd they do that? You know, I know how they did that, but it's, it's literally, I think, brilliant for sure. When you, when you read the script, was that in there? Was that sequence in the script? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, honestly, it is one of yet again, one of the best practical effects I can think of from within the genre. And um, it, it really is while it's sexual, it's it's so off-putting. I always think that nudity and sexuality and horror is at its best when it's used not to exploit, but to make you feel uncomfortable. Comfortable, you know? 100%. And they, they used it in the right way to really like make it just like, oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> so great sequence for sure. Oh yeah, you you definitely cringe when you see that. Whether you're male, female, it's gonna make you cringe. And again, I do like the fact that Sal. Again, I think Sal and Raj are are, are very similar in terms of they're the two characters that are thinking what the audience is thinking. Now, I think Sal vocalizes it a lot more than Roger does. Roger's Roger's uh, um, response is usually to run away, whereas Sal basically says what he's thinking. He's like, right. he's like, you're crazy. Like, uh, yeah, he's like, right. what are you doing? You're crazy. I'm getting the hell out of here. Like, you, you're nuts. It's right. I'm getting out of this nasty house. Right. I'm going home. Uh, and yeah, so we get the, we get the lipstick scene and then we do get, I think after this is the scene with, uh, Franny and Max basically having sex in the coffin of all places. <laughs> of course. I mean, why not? Why not? Why not? It's Halloween. I mean, come on. Um, this all leads up to the first reveal of, uh, Stooge as a demon. We're starting to now see the characters kind of manifest in their demonic forms and he is probably while while everyone has like you know a certain level of iconic visual to them, Stooge I would say is the most imposing just because of his size. And again, he's terrifying. And the brutality of the sequence, how he just <clears throat> snaps her neck and just bashes that arm in, right. the, in the um in the casket, it really is a really brutal kill. You don't really see the aftermath, but it's smart because it does come up later in a really awesome scene with you that we're on our way to that. I really love how they introduce 
these two characters as demons. I think it was handled really well. Uh, there is also the moment with Sal finding Angela at the fireplace, where she has the moment where she's like, uh, I was just warming my hands by the fire. Like, like so many great little moments. Um, Roger, meanwhile, is still in the car. He thinks that uh, that Stooge is kind of messing with him, and it only turns out to be the demonic force because out of nowhere, in one of the best scares in the movie, I think, uh, Helen's body drops and smashes against the glass. We get that great throwback to what she saw in the mirror. You don't see Helen's kill, but I'll say, like, I'll take it because this startle moment is really a standout moment in the film. For sure. For sure. I love I love that moment. Yeah, it, it, it is it is an effective jump. We talk about jump scares, but this is one that that's highly effective. Yeah. And now we get Jay and Suzanne's sex scene. And this is one. Yeah, this is one of the better practical effects. In oh, the movie. my God. It's so good. I, it's so gross. It's so gross. It's but so good. yeah, he comes in the room and Suzanne is there with, you know, topless and she starts showing him. I mean, she lifts her skirt up. She's not wearing underwear. So she's lowering. They start to have sex. She gets on top of him and she's like, quit looking at me. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she throws her head back and she brings it back down. And now she's full demon. And she's like, I said, stop looking at me. <laughs> The thumbs go right into his eyeballs and it is disgusting. How great is that? Do you know what those were? I what were they? Cherry tomatoes. Really? Okay. Really? I I was actually curious if that was like a prop head that they used or something. Because yeah. like she gets all the way in there. Like, is that a is that a manic? Like, did they build a bust of his head or is that just him? Yes. They did. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Great effect. Yeah. I mean it's it's hard it's to tell. So real. Yeah. So real. Yeah. But I mean, and at this point, we can't really feel bad for Jay because he's kind of an ass, but. Yeah, he's a total douche. Yeah. Yeah. And like, honestly, like that, at this point, like he had it coming. <laughs> and like for Judy alone, I'm like, good. I'm like, I don't want to really see anyone in this movie die aside from him because he, uh, he really proved himself to be. A tool. So I'm yeah. happy about it. Um, Roger enters the house. Uh, he's discovered by Angela, who's now basically just parading around in full demon form. Uh, he and Sal kind of team up for a minute, trying to find a way out. Judy's still unaware of what's going on. <laughs> She's just sitting in that room. It's, it does. It does take Judy a little while before she finally screams for help. You know, I was thinking the whole movie, why, why isn't she like why? yelling why is she for, for help? Because she knows there's other people in the house, but she's just sitting in front of the door, just like looking around. And finally, she's finally, when she hears people out in the hallway, she starts screaming for help. And they, they do let her out. Sal and um, Raj kick the door. Sal kicks the door open and, and lets right. her out. And there's like this little moment where it takes her a second to come out of the room. So you're not a hundred percent sure. Is it really her? Is her demon going to come out? But it's Judy. So she's finally out of the room. Yay. <laughs> I will say, I will say that like at this point, I was really wanting Sal to survive because uh, his character, his character, like you guys talk about having like a former fling. He obviously cares about Judy. Uh, she obviously gravitates towards him. And you have this whole establishment of like, what is really like a really kind of touching character development for them up until his inevitable demise. Um, but like, God, I really wanted the two of them to like make it out together because I thought you guys made such a cute couple. Um, unfortunately, it does not come to be. 
one of my yeah that's probably one of my biggest issues with the film if i were to say that there was something in the film that i would personally like say i wish would would be changed is um is how sal's character was handled we remember roger several episodes back we did like three episodes in a row where we talked about these male characters that were done wrong like james mcavoy in the pool there's a whole string of them i think sal can add be added to that list because he is such a prominent character throughout the film we get to know him perhaps more than any other character in the in the movie uh his personality he is the voice of reason throughout the film but his death scene is just so it's almost like secondary. Like it's, it just happens and it, there's no impact because it's just, there's no build up to it. It just happens. And then you, there's a shot of him being impaled. Yeah. But I will say the impact I think stems from the fact that he honestly, like he, as we'll come to discuss, he, he does sacrifice himself for Judy. I mean, like, Oh, for sure. That is the touching aspect of it. Like, I agree with you, Troy. I, I would have preferred him surviving because I like him, but I feel something when he dies. Does that make sense? Or either, I wouldn't even say necessarily surviving. I just wish there was a more, uh, that his death was given a little bit more uh, consideration to. That's fair. That it just didn't seem like a secondary character that was killed off without really any buildup or anything because all the other characters. I don't think initially that it's very funny that you say that because I do feel that in the original script, he had a bigger death scene. I can't remember what it was, but I know for a fact that Billy Gallo could not get into the prosthetics. He, he, Steve Johnson tried to fit him for his, whatever his death scene was going to be in a prosthetic head and he like was claustrophobic and could not sit for the for that prosthetic so they had to change it up like what could we do that how could we kill him that he doesn't have to be in full you know body makeup or whatever um and so that's kind of how that in whole impaling um happened um and again i don't remember what originally it was supposed to be but but i would agree with you and i i feel like i had wished because i i i've often thought that Billy and I, or, you know, Judy and, and, uh, Asal would have had like a, a love affair kind of thing. You know, it just, it, it was, it had that sweetness to it that, um, he came to save her and saved her life. And yet had he survived, they probably, you know, I think I, I romanticize that. Yes. They would have somehow come together. Yeah, even the way they introduce him, like him coming to your house unannounced and asking for you, and right. he's still obviously pursuing you. So there's obviously like, and he's one of the few guys who like all the other guys are gawking over the other girls, and and he, when Angela kind of starts like you know sexualizing, he's just kind of watching her like, what the hell, <laughs> like what is going on? Like you're right, Troy. When you say he's the voice of reason, he also like just kind of calls shit as it is, which I like. I really like about his character, but he definitely has a soft spot for Judy from the start of the film. And I think that's why I like him so much. Right. Sal and Judy are now paired together too at this time, which I really like because Roger runs away. God love him. <laughs> but and this is the moment where you guys come across Suzanne and Jay's corpse and another great, another great one-liner Suzanne instantly says, how about an orgy? I bet if we try, we can get him hard again. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> And she like winks at you guys. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. 
but this is the moment where you two get separated pretty much right away because she knocks Sal out the window and you're forced to run down the hallway. But I do like at this point, it kind of just becomes Judy and that flashlight. And it makes for some really great shots of like the flashlight beam, you know, just lingering down the hall. It's you, you have a really awesome kind of chase sequence that takes place here with some great synth score. It really starts to build up. You get to the door at that one point and there's that really great pan shot that drops down on you. Like, it's just like, Everything's at the top of its game. The cinematography, the music, the tension, the everyone's full demon. It's it's great. I love the whole extension of this 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 part. Oh, and she also has that line as you're running away. Run, Judy, run. See Judy run. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I love when Judy goes into the room with the coffin and gets attacked by uh Max's hand. <laughs> it grabs her leg. Uh, and then Max and Franny come out of the coffin and they're demons. So, I mean, now we are, yeah, we're full force. This place is a, is a demon madhouse. Out of all the effects being, you know, holding up, because I think across the board, they really hold up. That arm sequence, I think, is one of the best looking shots in the film. Um, I'm sure it had to be a green screen or something. I don't, how did they do that? Because it doesn't, you don't see the separation of anything. How did they pull that off? So I think it, it was not green screen screen. We were in the room with the casket, on, you know, in whole house, in the house. Um, and Steve Johnson, I think they shot it where it was on my leg and then they pulled it away and then reversed the footage. So it looked like it was leaping out to grab me. Um, I think that's how they got that shot. And then I, it was literally attached to my leg as I was screaming, I had to, and then I had to kick it off and I had to give it force to literally get that prosthetic arm off of my leg. And, uh, legend has it that I, I kicked it so hard. I kind of knocked Steve Johnson back because I kicked it right to him, which I think he, I think he had the string to pull it to towards him, but I, I literally like was screaming and kicked it and knocked him over. So, um, but I think that that shot was, was the reverse was how they got it to leap out. So no green screen. Wow. I, it's amazing how they pulled some of this stuff off. Cause honestly, like, and yeah, even you could tell like the, fero- like you're very ferocious with your response in that sequence, but it just plays into, I mean, as you should be, there is a arm attacking you, but like, it is just, it's, it's a great moment in the film. It's, it's a standout little scare and I really love it. And then of course, yeah, their bodies are revealed as now demons as well. Right. So everything is kind of building to this epic kind of boiling over climax. Um, you do finally encounter Roger in the window, but you're kind of blocked off by Stooge. So he and Suzanne, and they're all kind of chasing you up the staircase to the kind of rooftop where there's this like open patio area up there. Um, and this is leading up to the moment where, as we talked about with Sal, is his impending demise. You're attacked by Angela. He goes in and saves, he saves your life. But because of that, he is knocked over the railing and falls to his death with Angela as well. But this leads up to the moment where you get knocked over the railing and you're hanging off of this balcony and Roger appears at the bottom. He's trying to convince you to jump. And there's this great little panic moment that you have where you're like, I can't do it. Like, I love it. I love it. But it leads to that really amazing fall shot, that kind of like slow motion. It almost makes me think of like in a way of like the omen shot. <laughs> like, you know. Well, and, nor- and I was thinking North by Northwest, Alfred Hitchcock. I was just going to say the yeah, yeah, Hitchcock yeah. shot. Yeah, for sure. 
Sure. How did they do that shot? Yeah. If you don't mind sharing. They had, so I actually wanted to do the whole thing. I was like, please, can I do be my own stunt double? And, and they said, no, you're, you know, the principal we, we can't have you do that. But I did get to hang off the building and I was strapped in under my Alice costume. That was me hanging off the building, but they wouldn't let me release. And then you can tell it's a stunt double with a bad wig. So I hate that shot because once I release, it's a stunt double falling to the ground. But the shot with me falling was the coolest, most fun night for me because I was on the crane that they... They put me on and then, you know, film me falling back. And the shot is me on the crane falling back. So how cool is that? Like that's, I was like, you know, that's like <laughs> an actress's like moment, you know, like you got, you get to do this really fun, unique thing, which is be on a crane fall. So yeah, I just wish they would have allowed me to, because it, what's the big deal that drop sequence would have been fine they had a you know a, yeah it didn't look like that was that far down and it wasn't it was a two-story but you know so i guess safety for yeah i know I yeah know. i mean i get it in that <laughs> sense of like insurance and on the set and you know that's why but you look at that shot and it's like oh that is so bad that is such a bad double you know it just makes me crazy because i'm like it should have been me um I think every every actor, though, in any situation automatically targets those moments. And you like, of course, you're going to see that moment. Because honestly, I never even noticed the stunt double, but now I'm going to go back oh, to the floor. I didn't either. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I didn't either. I was going to. You never know. I was that? thinking when you said that, I'm like, I thought I thought it looked just like I. But I, I mean, you're not I guess you're not paying attention you, you because you get you get the great shot of you falling back but then yeah because the fall off the building and that's i have to i have to i have to rewatch i'm sorry it. now i ruined it for you i i thought everybody <laughs> noticed how bad that was but- i honestly did not know no but it's fine but i think but that but that is i mean that's a testament to the movie you know you're you're so drawn into it that you're not going to notice stuff like that i feel like you only notice stuff like that if the movie's like not good to begin with and you're just kind of bored and you're not engaged in it so you're going to maybe pay more attention to that sort of thing. But in this scene, I'm fully engaged. I've been fully engaged in the movie. So I'm not really oh, good. Okay. paying attention to that sort of thing. Sorry, I even mentioned it. <laughs> no, it's what we... <laughs> uh, yeah, so she falls onto a Roger. Yeah. Who's, who's still... He's still kicking. He's still alive and kicking. Still there. Good old Roger. <laughs> and you guys run into... Well, Sal come or Stooge comes and attacks you guys. And you run, this is when you run into the uh, crematorium room. And I just love Judy's innocence here where she's like, oh, look at this big oven. We can get out through here. I'm like, how are you? Why do you think you can get out through an oven? Like, where do you think this oven is leading, Judy? I love you, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) But I love this is like, I mean, at this point, after she has this fall sequence, I would say like, you know, Judy's kind of been going on this journey. Well, both literally and figuratively of kind of like stepping up to the plate. And once you get into this moment, she is full on the heroine of the film. You know, at this point, she has finally taken it upon herself to ensure they get out of this location. And I love that this is where, like, normally you would you would have the female start breaking down. Because earlier in the movie, there is the moment where, you know, you, like, I mentioned earlier, but where you're like, I can't run, I can't go, I can't do it. And you kind of think that's going to be her character. But there's a specific point where it it's changes and she goes into survival mode. 
And was that like, was that how the script was intended to be? Was she specifically written to have this evolution or is this something that you played a big part in her journey as well? So specifically the crematorium scene is, um, it was written so different. And on the day we were filming the crematorium scene, the dialogue was changed right then and there. And, and honestly, if I, if I, Think about any scene in which I cringe. It's the crematorium scene. Right, Raj? Right, Raj? Because they it was exposition in nature, but also it had just been thrown at me. And it really didn't make, the dialogue didn't make sense to me. So I should have like said, wait, hey, before we shoot this, I'm not really sure. This is really repetitive. And so, but then I tried to use that as a character choice. Like, okay, she's trying to figure it out. Like, wait, so she said it's the night of the, you know, right, Raj, right, right. And she's trying to flush it through, but it was also me trying to remember the lines and make sense of it. So, but then she gets to light, you know, she remembers that she's got the lighter. And so that was, oh my God, that was so, so much fun. And that moment was like, okay, I'm a badass now. That's, I'm just, you know, Judy is taking care of business. So again, if, you know, you go back and you would want to reshoot something, I would definitely want to reshoot that crematorium scene and make that arc happen a little bit better. So um, it's okay. You know, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because it's supposed to be a moment of like humanity between you and Raj. And he is he's totally a mess. He's 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 freaking out and you are trying to be the the voice of reason and and hey, we're gonna get out of here. You saved my life already tonight. That it can't be that can't be for nothing. We're gonna get out of here. Uh and in the meantime, the demons are like pounding on the door, yeah. about ready to break in and he doesn't want to do anything. Like you're like, no, we got to get out of here. We got to do it now. And he's just like cowering in the corner and you just grab that gas pipe and go to town. Well, in this whole moment too, like not only does she go through the physicality of fighting the demons, but she's also smart enough to deduce like, okay, based off of what Angela shared earlier about Halloween being a time where the forces of evil can walk the earth. If we can make it till dawn, we're going to be fine. Like her wheels are turning. She's not stupid. She's naive, but she's not stupid. I I love this whole sequence. You know, uh, your your issues with it aside, um, I, I think that I love her innocence. I love how genuine she is. And I take her dialogue with Raj. Like, it's almost like, well, if you've got someone in shock, you're like, hey, hey. Let's listen to me, like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just think that like, it's, it's really an example of this character just stepping up to the plate. And, and I love this moment. Like, do I think it's a little far-fetched that the gas line would still be working in this house? Absolutely. Do I care? <laughs> no, because I get an amazing sequence of demons being lit on fire and spinning around in ball gowns, like blazing. It's so kick-ass. <laughs> it's one of the coolest scenes of the movie. Oh my God. That scene shooting, the people that were in the makeup and, and got lit on fire, um, again, you know, as an actress, I've, you know, I've seen certain stunts since, but at the time it was absolutely, they were on fire. I mean, what you see is what it was. And, oh my God, it was. Oh, oh, you can tell. It was yeah. crazy. I was like, those people are crazy. Those 
people are not paid enough to, <laughs> to be lit on fire. It was crazy. Yeah. 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 And, and at this point, like you guys see this as an opportunity to book for it. So you and Roger make a run for the main door, but of course, as always, the door is, you can't get through it, whether it be because it's locked, the demonic forces, whatever, all of the demons at this point start to come out. And I like, if I had any questions for you, I was excited to ask you about it's this final moment because you have everybody in full makeup and there's actually a really iconic, famous image of the entire cast sitting on the set, all of the characters in makeup, you're all, you're like the roughest you are. You got the burn on your leg and everything. And there's this just like great cast photo of everybody together. And like, how cool was it to, to be there during the filming of this finale and seeing everybody like just decked out? That had to be so oh, cool. Oh, so cool. So cool. And again, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so... I'm sorry. You know, I like wanted to apologize the whole time. I'm like, I know you all were in makeup for so long and okay. You know, and then I just like get to waltz out. Yeah. So yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing because again, what you see is what, what it was, you know, that's what they looked like. And it was, it was something to behold. So real, so creepy, so eerie, so gross, everything. And, um, and, and that the makeup team got them all ready to do that final shot is also a feat of epic proportions, you know. That definitely had to take some time because, yeah, that ca- with a cast that size and every one of them oh, yeah. has some sort of prosthetic makeup on them. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's a it's an awesome it's an awesome finale. At this point, though, Roger does again jump he jumps out the window but he leaves judy like he's like i'm out of here he jumps out the window and judy has to like (laughs) follow him and he's already long gone he's at the wall scaling the wall leaving her (laughs) she has to come and like helplessly try to climb the wall and this is painful because it's barbed wire Uh, and you guys have to climb on on this on the barbed wire and you see it you see it going in your hands and uh, i would have just died i would have just laid there and been like fuck this i'm not doing (laughs) (laughs) but like i always say with a finale like troy we've seen some films where like the finale the payoff just has not matched the rest of the movie it kind of is like a deflating balloon this movie does not suffer from that like literally they throw everything at the wall and it all sticks like (laughs) you got all these demons every single character they all look horrifying they're disgusting they're all moist and wet and gross you got um kathy who like is trying to climb this barbed wire? Like at this point, Kathy, real uh, you hadn't really like Judy hadn't gotten beaten up. I mean, you fell. You know, you had your fall scene, but like this is the point where you realize, oh gosh, this character is in just as much danger as everybody else. Because not only are her arms getting ripped up on this barbed wire, but then like there's that whole dramatic kind of tug of war moment where they're all kind of grabbing you by the leg and pulling you back. And because some of them have been on fire, they're burning you. Like it is really just like, it is one of my favorite climax moments in a horror movie that I can think of. And it's so intense. And that had to be such an epic thing to film. Amazing. It was amazing. It was so much fun to be up on that wall and look back. Yeah, it was, I mean, I can literally, I, can close my eyes and feel like it's going to make me all like weepy. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, there's certain moments um, in an actor's life that sort of define that time. And you just say, okay, this is the moment that you need to pinch yourself and 
and say, wow, you know, not many people get to do what you're doing right in this moment. And it was that moment for me being up on the wall and having all of them, Bleh. you know, it was like, it was, it was beyond cool, beyond. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of moments, I think, you know, flip that, that horror fans, you know, as you, I'm sure as you've come to realize and come to learn now, you know, having attended conventions and everything, like horror fans put our final girls up on a pedestal. Uh, and I will say, especially like, you know, this being a queer inspired podcast, gay horror fans, especially have a soft spot for an awesome final girl because the femininity and the rising above as a, you know, as a feminine figure rising above the force of evil and, and coming out on top, like there's something so empowering about that. And um, I think, you know, every, every famous final girl kind of has her kind of key moments that we cherish and like this moment, like that wide shot of from behind you of all the demons, like just pulling you down. And like, you think, you really think there's a moment that, that she is not going to make it. And thank God there's that moment where you see Roger finally come back, redeem himself and really make you appreciate that character that much more because he does that. It makes for such a satisfying finale. Well, that's one, one of the, yeah. One of the things that makes the ending, this finale. So I think impactful is there is that there is the moment where you actually think that Judy is going to die. I mean, you, you, you're hanging on oh, yeah. at the very moment by literally like one finger, they almost have you down and you, you can tell in your face that you're about ready just to give up until Roger comes over and grabs you and, and gets you and pulls you over. I think that's what makes the, uh, that moment even, even more impactful is there is in the audience's mind. You're like, Oh shit, she's gonna, she's gonna die. Wow. That's so fantastic. Nobody's ever like really explained it that way, but that's absolutely how um i played that i wanted to play that scene was she's she's done she's given up until roger comes over so i'm so glad that that is is you re- you read it as that oh i definitely yeah, definitely good, did good and then you get he pulls her over and there they get on the other side of the wall and I'm a, it, the demons basically are are defeated and they start like catching on fire and disintegrating and I'm yeah, because it's it's getting towards dawn now, and they they're you know so you guys survive the night, and then you do get the kind of the the shot of like the demon. I guess it's like is it the main the main demon that we saw earlier in the mirror? You see him again, his his head. Right. That's I think that's the only CG is is that that um, image. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes for yeah. quite an epic conclusion, and I do love that. From that moment, it just cuts to you and Roger like side by side walking down that sidewalk like i really wish i could have seen a continuation of these characters stories because like how what what do you do after that moment like (laughs) yeah what do you do when you get home i mean uh, before we can get you know into what what what, you know the continuation of their story is before it's allowed to extend any further it, it does uh you guys do pass by uh, the older gentleman from the opening of the film. And the movie does take a very unique, like, <laughs> left-hand turn here. Uh, it takes a completely different direction. And, of course, we end with, like, the famous razors in the apples, apple pie moment, which is super cheesy, but, like, in a very, like, love- lovable, endearing way. Um, so, like, was that in the script? Was that originally in the script? It was. Okay. I think I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Because this this sweet old grandmotherly wife of his basically makes him an apple pie that's full of razor blades, and 
you think that maybe she did it on accident until he starts like bleeding from the mouth and um you realize she did it on purpose <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> well what i think that I think that moment, what it really does is it brings it back. Like, I mean, this is perfect for what we're doing with this Halloween episode. It brings it back to the Halloween vibe. Like that is such like a classic Halloween myth, the razors and the apples. And um, as, as, as cheesy as it is to have him like get through this whole pie, <laughs> like get through several bites of this pie and not notice the razors that then bust through his throat. Right. Like, okay, I'll take it. I love it. I think it's so, so, um, such a shtick and I love it. And I think it's the perfect note to end this movie on because this movie is completely about the fun in horror and the, the joy factor that you can take away from a movie like this. This movie is enjoyable from beginning to end. And that ending was very much like, I think a wink to the audience. It knows exactly what it is. It knew it from the moment those animated credits started rolling. And the, my, my only gripe I would say is like, now that we're in the age of re, of sequels and remakes, I need a, I needed a proper Night of the Demons Part Two, in which I know what Judy and Roger are up to, and I need to see Judy with a damn flamethrower going in and killing those demons one more time because uh, this is the time. Every other movie is getting a sequel. Right, Rod. Where is it? <laughs> Start writing. Start writing, please. Thank you. I'd like to see that too. I, I imagine they're like in an insane asylum, or like you know they've they've not been able to like have very functioning lives after witnessing all of that. But yeah, I, I would kind of like to see what, what became of them. Yeah. Cause you've got two survivors here and, and so often you see the continuations of these stories. I want to see those stories. I want to see uh, what, what you can do with that. So yeah, if I'm not writing it, someone better be, that's all I'm saying. It's 2021. Yeah. They're not really addressed in the sequel. These two characters are they, I don't think they are. I don't think. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard. I haven't yeah, seen I've, it. Yeah, it's been heard. years, but yeah, I don't think yeah. they are. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, somebody out there, please. Come on, we we we, we can on. be night of the demon, night of the demon kills, right? Or. Oh yeah. Is that what you would do? Well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, hey, Halloween did just did it. Why not you? You could be you could <laughs> be like throw random words on you could it. be like yeah. living in a you know a, a fortress of a house with you know booby traps for the demons and be trauma traumatized traumatized i love it <laughs> um so with that being said uh, you know first of all that's that is night of the demons thank you for taking this time to, yes, to recap thank you so much with us i mean you gave us some great gems some really awesome stories from the production which are was that was what i was hoping for and you absolutely delivered like i mean this has been great. This was just fun for me personally, like, let alone recording this for a podcast. This was great. So we really appreciate you taking this much time. Thank you guys so much for showing our little movies, the love that you've, um, you know, or the attention and the love that you've given it for this, for this episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, and thank you for honestly returning to the genre. How cool is that? Like, it's so cool to see, when you have an actress who plays one of these iconic roles and you, and you want to see more from them, um, you finally have kind of been returning to yep. film, returning to the horror genre. Um, what's in the cards for you? Like, what what is your future holding for you? Are you do you plan to act more? What's what's in the the game plan? So I always said all these years that I would love to get back to. I wanted to stay home with my kids. I have three grown children, and I I said when my 
third and last child graduated high school, I go back to work. Why not? Because you, you can act when you're 80. You know? But I, I felt like I could only be the mom of my, my children, you know, and have that time and it would be fleeting, which it was. And now it's done. Um, so when my youngest graduated, um, it was during uh, COVID. So wasn't much of a graduation, but literally the week after she graduated, I got an email from a writer director who asked me to be in this LGBTQ uh, themed horror film reunion from hell. And I, I loved the idea. I loved the, the, the idea of getting back into, you know, coming back to acting with a horror film was, was somehow very poetic, let alone it being an LGBTQ themed cast, you know, like the, the majority of the characters um, are gay. And I just love that. I thought that was a really unique angle of, um, you know, something that I, I wasn't really sure had been done sort of groundbreaking. So I did that and um, had a wonderful time. So I definitely feel the bug. Um, and, you know, now what it looks like is I've got to sort of get tech savvy because everything is, all the auditions are taking place online or, you know, you've got to, you know, film yourself and, 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 uh, and so I've got to figure out all the logistics of that, but I definitely feel that I would very much like to get back to work. So, um, and I, you know, we, we, we've been connected through a film, so hopefully that might happen. I'm hoping that you and I, Raj can, um, work together in something someday soon. So, yeah, so I, I definitely gracious people have reached out and said, I would love to have you and I would love to be a part of stuff. And so I'm just open to, you know, seeing what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. It seems like this is like the time for you, to be honest. I mean, between first of all, thank you so much. You know, Troy and I are both members of the LGBTQ plus community. And to have an actor or actress who's representing the character in a film that we love openly support our community means the world. I think it means a lot to a lot of fans. So that's huge. And we uh, we respect and appreciate that more than you can possibly fathom. Um, but also like how awesome for you, all of these little things seem to have come up within the last few years. You had to return to the Dallas uh, reboot series, which was how awesome for you because that was a really iconic role for you. Um, and so it just seems like, uh, there seems like there's a lot in the cards for you. We really look forward to seeing what's to come for you. I think there's gonna be a lot of awesome things. And, and until that, you've got a fan base that loves you and loves uh, your character that you played in this film. And, you know, I guess in closing on my end, at least for me, I'm, I'm curious for you now, you said coming into this, you know, you didn't know the kind of longevity and impact that Night of the Demons had at the time it was released. It wasn't until the last few years you've really come to understand that now after attending the conventions and meeting the fans and having the right. boy at the grocery aisle recognize you. <laughs> like, I mean, now, you know, looking back on it, how does that all make you feel? Amazing. I mean, the fans, so here in a nutshell, I was asked um, to be a part of, my first convention was a uh, Hollywood, I can't remember what it was called, the Hollywood show. I think it's called the Hollywood show. And it's, it was a Dallas reunion. So there was going to be a whole bunch of Dallas characters there coming back for this. Um, and I had never done a convention before. And I was like, sure. Oh my gosh. And it was really fun. And I loved seeing everyone. And I was there representing Dallas, but coming up to my table, I'd say 70% of the people that came up to my table came up to me with night of the demon stuff. 
So, and this is right after I had talked to Kevin about this whole like notion of it being a cult classic. And so there I was representing Dallas for this reunion, but it was Night of the Demons fans coming up and they were the nicest, most gushing, loving, enthusiastic fans ever. And I just was like, I I felt like so humble, like this little movie. Wow. And it's got this, this kind of quality fan. And, and that is proven to be time and again, um, different conventions, the nicest, nicest people. So it has been such a joy and something that I could really be proud of. I wasn't sure I could be proud of it before. Um, but I love the fact that Night of the Demons never took itself too seriously and it's a ton of fun. And that's why people, you know, value and relish all of these years later. So it's been, it's been very humbling, very sweet. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. You deserve it. You deserve it. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you for coming on. We're so flattered. Yeah, exactly. I'll come back on when I have something to like, you know, pitch or whatever. Or maybe somebody, maybe somebody will come up with a yeah. We'll keep us updated. Night of the Demons um, sequel, and I'll come. I'll come talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely, we can only hope for it. Yeah. All right, you guys. Yeah, well, based off the reception from the fans that uh, that follow our podcast, it's definitely something they would love. So, uh, yeah, that gives us reason to uh, look forward to having you on again, Kathy. It's been phenomenal chatting with you. This has been so satisfying, and thank you so much for taking such a long period of time out of your day, but it was, it was worth no, it. No, no, it's my, my pleasure, you guys. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's an, it's an honor, really. So yeah, in closing, um, just real quick, just to let our fans know, okay. uh, real brief, our next episode, we're going to be straying into some random territory. We're going to be reviewing a horror comedy. You guys probably don't know it, so watch it. Make sure you catch up. The name of the movie, it's called Gravy. I know you've probably never heard of it, but it stars Gabourey Sidibe from Precious. So that right there is a reason to look for it. You can stream it uh, for free on Amazon Prime. Like I said, it's a horror comedy, not our usual territory. But uh, I really have a feeling a lot of you guys are going to like this one because it is fucking weird. But until then, thank you again to Kathy. <laughs> thank you to Kathy Powell. And you have me at horror comedy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. I love it. I love it. I've never I've never seen it. So Roger's like, we have to watch this movie because it has precious in it. I'm like, okay, so it's gonna be a good one. But uh, we we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Please remember to give us some love on our platforms. Leave a comment if you like. And our Patreon's got some fresh material. We've got a few episodes dropping coming up soon, right, Troy? Oh, fun stuff, fun stuff. Oh, and thank you to Julie, Julie Brock, who is our newest patron on Patreon. Thank you, Julie. And so, yeah, so yeah, tune in, tune in uh, for gravy. That's going to be an experience. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying that title alone. It's so like anticlimactic, but it's worth it. I promise. On that note, Kathy, thank you again so much. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you soon. For sure. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.